Welcome back to the number one podcast in the world. We're your hosts, Chase Damore. And Gabrielle Moses. And today I'm very joined with a very special guest. So I'm going to let him go ahead and introduce himself. Ryan Kavanaugh. Right. right. There you go. I'm out. He's like a <laughs> nice guy. He's nice, the most humble guy in the world. But this guy is literally the definition of a guy that wears many, many hats. Uh, does a little bit of everything. Does everything. You know, he's all from L.A. to, if he's in, what, Utah to... <laughs> to Colorado. Everywhere. Colorado. <laughs> uh, really awesome, genuine guy. But, uh, you know, I want to kind of come in here and pick his brand a little bit. Uh, Ryan, I just want to intro, start this by saying, like, what is it that uh, you specifically do in L.A. for work? Oh, man. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a dad. That's like my first Aww, job. Uh, look at that. Like, sentimental moments, guys. <laughs> no, it, it, once you have kids, for me, it all changes. Like, that's job one. Uh-huh. I have an eight-year-old, three-year-old, like, taking uh-huh. care of them. Um, yeah. But I do a little bit of everything. So film was kind of, I'll say, after I cut, cut my teeth in finance, but then film. And then I kind of left film and went into tech, biotech, uh, pharmaceutical, aviation. Um, and then uh, what else? I have a dog food company. Um, and what else? I, uh, um, I do, I mean, I do a lot of media and then I'm back into making movies now again. So, yeah. you know, kind of. That a, is so many different things. That's crazy. What's been your favorite of all of those though? I love, actually, they're all kind of my, it's like saying, well, who's your favorite child? It's yeah. like, you know, I mean, I, I know the one, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I know the ones I don't like actually, but the one, mm-hmm. you know, they all have their own exciting moments. And mm-hmm. that's part of why I like to do so many different things is it, I really get to experience so many elements of, of, of the world doing it. So mm-hmm. people in tech are very different than people in film are very different than, um, then uh you know people, people dog in food. <laughs> dog food or social i mean social media as well um and uh biotech is a whole other field a lot of very 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 smart people um you know what did you do in biotech so uh, i do a lot right now in biotech so my first big biotech um was uh i don't want to call it maybe i wasn't so much a founder but early on involved in a company called calhoun that's um now called site rx um and it's a uh, basically a polymer they put into a lens so when you do a cataract surgery people don't need glasses and it's uh went public it's like a two billion dollar public company now that was my first kind of biotech it was my dad and i together and then i was his seed investor in a company um started to say Zadarx, Cytorx, which was originally called calhoun zaderx was his he founded and i was his seed investor in 2010 later renamed juno that was the largest it's a cancer cure and mm-hmm. uh, has about a 94% full remission rate. Um, That's amazing. What do you think about those uh, computer chips Ooh. that you can stick in your brain now? Um, you're talking about for cancer? They don't have, you're no, just talking in general. No, in general, they just made like the, the skull implant. Yeah, yeah, it's biotech, yeah. What yeah. are you reading? Uh, that's not available yet. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, Elon Musk, yeah, the Elon, patent it? Yeah. Elon, Elon's one of the people working on it. Oh, um, the monkeys that they put it in apparently went mad and they had to put them down, although not because of the chip. <laughs> For other reasons. It was no, not I, the technology. I don't think it's yet in people's brands. Although sometimes when I listen to Elon talk, I do think like, okay, he's got the chip because he's just got way too much information. I mean, you know, sometimes he talks to you. I, like, when he's talking, I like Elon. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes he's talking, he talks to him. be like this. And he'll just say like a bunch of like really random facts. Yeah, and you're like, that guy's... Genius. Oh, he's got the chip. He's just connected to the internet. Oh, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. See, I need that because I have some blonde moments sometimes. Oh, I'm not even blonde and I do too. <laughs> oh, the red hair is a whole another thing. And then how did you get started in dog food? It seems like such a like off term. So when I was uh, in 2010, uh, my first wife, um, who was a ballerina, um, our big charity thing was was that about 5 million dogs are euthanized a year in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, the biggest reason they're euthanized is because pounds and shelters can't afford to feed them. So we would drive around to like shelters and pounds that, that and, and I fly, I'm a professional helicopter pilot. So we'd hop in my helicopter, we'd load up just shit tons of food and drive to pounds mm-hmm. that needed it. Mm-hmm. And my business manager called me and he was like, listen, you can't write off $500,000 a year of dog food. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, no one's going to believe it. I was like, but it's true. He's like, you just can't do it. So... Um, I was like, I got to find a better way. And at the time, Tom's shoes had just come out, the one for one. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, I remember those. Those were so big at my school. They were, they're still pretty big. Yeah, and, they're still um, big. And so, uh, I'm close friends with Snoop and Michael Buble, and they're mm-hmm. both big into dog rescues too. So I went to them, like, I'm going to start this dog food company. It's a one for one where with every bag we sell, we give a bag to a shelter. 
And so I'm going to take what would normally be the marketing budget and mm. put it into giving that bag away. So I need you guys to come in and like and help promote. So we mm. and Chelsea Handler was our partner up front too. And um, so we launched it's called Dog for Dog, and um, it's you know kind of been going ever since. We we've donated I think eight million pounds of food. Oh my that's gosh, yeah. that's so cool! Yeah. Lovely humanitarian work right there. We love to see it. We love to see. Try it. Try to spend a lot of time on charity. I try to spend half my time on charity. Okay, that's good. And then uh, most recently, uh, you and I we went to BKFC. We've been you're pretty involved in that scene. Now you got your, your boy Bryce over there fighting on some of those guys. He's trying to convince me to get in there. No, you guys are wild for that bare knuckle. My skin. <laughs> but yeah, it's now so the. You know, I, I did the Tyson Jones fight, which I kind of envisioned and produced, and that was the highest grossing digital pay-per-view in history. And then the sixth highest grossing pay-per-view in all of history. And that was my first like big live event, like pay-per-view event. I'd done a lot of bro- like some Broadway and obviously a lot of movies and TV, but that was my mm-hmm. first foray. That was 2019. And then Jake Paul, we put on as the undercard as like a favor to someone. Yeah, literally. Really? And then everybody, it, it, it's just funny when you see the world, everybody was like going off on me, like... Basically, how can you put Jake up against a professional athlete? Nate, he's going to get killed. Right. You're and like, then, well, views. And then, <laughs> no, but then Jake knocked, he like ran into Jake's fist. I don't know if you remember, like Jake knocked him flat out and it became this viral moment. And then everybody's calling going, how could you put Jake against Nate when Nate's not a boxer? And I'm like, oh my God, you guys decide which one you're mad at me for. And so um, then I did the Jake Paul fight after that. And um, that was Jake Ben Askren. And that kind of broke a bunch of records. And then as I, I did another rate 25, and in the process, I went to something called BKFC1. Very first BKFC, and it's bare knuckle, full on like. Wow. And the one thing I can, couldn't get over is the sound. And I'm like, this yeah, is distinguishing from anything else. And this has the ability to be the UFC. Mm-hmm. So I literally went and met with the owner that night. And then I spent a year negotiating to buy it. And we ended up buying it. And then, yeah, then Bryce, we got Bryce fought and fought against... Uh, a three and bare knuckle fighter, uh, the Cutman, and he he knocked him out. And you came and saw it, and yeah, I, 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 I did try to get you to go in and fight. I was like, "Come on, yeah, go in, Chase, you get know, a like, ring." Those heavyweights right now. I fought the bare knuckle heavyweight champ already. That guy can hit hard. I can only imagine what it would be like without the boxing gloves on. So, um, in your defense, I did hear the sound of, and it's hard to like project that sound on camera because. Until you hear the sound of splitting skin. And yeah, it's so... I'm pretty sure at one of those points when he got punched, he like lost his like yeah. mouth guard or his tooth. Or yeah, something. it flew out. And I, and I looked at you and I was like, oh yeah, don't even look at me. <laughs> All I got in life is a pretty smile. <laughs> That's it. Man. You're like, I can't lose that. Oh my God. Oh man. And then, uh, so yeah, so you do a lot of like the BKF. That's that's super cool. I see you a lot on like the fight community and uh, Twitter spaces back uh, previously like early in the year in the summertime and stuff like that. You were... You were like hopping in there, listening, giving your take. Just on trying it. to like, I always like to f- hear what's going on in the flow, you yeah. know, especially since we were doing a lot of the, not a lot, but in, involved in kind of trying to, our whole thing was how do we bring the younger audience into boxing? So when I did the Tyson fight, the, about 70% of boxing pay-per-views came uh, from traditional media, like, like cable, like our parents would watch TV, right? Yeah. And so um, when we did it, we put it on fight TV and on cable, all cable, and we ended up getting about 40% digital, which is like unheard of. Um, and then we bought Fight TV, and on Jake's fight, it was 80% digital. So the whole idea was like, if it's digital, we've, we've obviously transitioned a younger audience into boxing. So we kind of, that's our focus right now, is how do we kind of keep it cool and relevant? Because it was definitely getting like to be an older kind of you know your dad or grandfather sport yeah yeah so you so you're for like the influencer boxing space and you you're you're for it i mean to an extent and and i mean obviously i know you your fights are great and um but i i do i do think it gets a bit much when it just when they're like everybody and their mother who's not athletic just tops in and they're like let's do 10 fights it's dangerous (laughs) it's dangerous so like even when we did it like jake for what everybody wants to say even in the beginning ones he trained really hard he was in shape like he might not be the best boxer, but you know, he's not going to get killed. Um, mm-hmm. and Bryce, same thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he might not be the best, but he's trained really hard. He's got good form. He's got good technique. Same with you. You know, you're an athlete, you're in good shape. You've got good technique. Um, you know, you might win, you might, but, but I think when we, when they, I don't necessarily agree with these where they go do like 10 influencers and yeah. mm-hmm. a, you know, um, piracy has been, is a big issue and that audience doesn't love to pay. 
And then number two, it's like, mm-hmm. I kind of think they're, a lot of people do it just for boxing sake. It's like, let's just throw a big name in there because yeah. it'll get eyeballs, but not because it's going to be a good boxing match. That's going to be terrible. You know, mm-hmm. and that's, that's where I kind of draw the line. So like even at BKFC, the only social fight we've done is, is Bryce versus a real bare knuckle right. boxing three and oh, and it was a real fight. And you know, yeah. it was, mm-hmm. it had real repercussions. Yeah, I always I always think the same uh, same when you talk about like I think it's it's two different sports like influencer fighting and real fighting because like obviously you guys did in BKFC and that turned out how it did and Bryce is like a big superstar stud right now but like boxing is a thing where it's like I think like you were saying earlier like our grandparents and our parents we, they watch boxing on TV and now yeah. younger generations like how do you entice them to watch boxing and then the second hardest part about that is how do you entice them to pay to watch boxing yep. you know so I think that uh, the good fights are good like the tanks the Ryan Garcia's like that's yeah. all great to watch like real boxing and then there's the influencer space where if you have a couple big names like you know the Jake Pauls the, the Logans. Logans the Dylan Danis and yep. stuff like that it draws that younger audience okay well if you like this then you really like this you know what i mean yep so like i've always been obviously i'm biased but i've had a good point how do you deal with all the piracy because kids our age or younger will live stream and i've seen it on tiktok streams like different apps and whatnot DraftKings is bringing you only the best classics like slots roulette and poker me personally i've always been a roulette guy and we like to have a lot of fun. So if you go and download the DraftKings Casino app and use code UNSCRIPTED, you can actually get an instant match for whatever you're playing up to $100. All you have to do is bet $5 to get that. So you mean to tell me that if I bet $5, they're going to bet $5? Yeah, they'll match it. If I bet $100, they're going to bet me $100? Yep, they will match it if you use code UNSCRIPTED whenever you download the app. Easily done. I'm going to go use UNSCRIPTED right now. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In Connecticut, help is available for problem. Gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. 21 plus, physically present in Connecticut, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, West Virginia only. Void in Ontario, one per opted in new customer. Minimum $5 deposit, maximum match of $500 in casino credits, which requires a one-time playthrough within seven days. See terms at casino.draftkings.com slash players choice for eligibility terms and responsible gambling resources. So it's, it's interesting so much you say money that because losing. it's led to my next venture. Oh. Um, but okay. Like I I think I told you guys I have this podcast called Failure. It was Mm -hmm. a failure in that, a big failure in that, that led me to like this revelation that now I'm launching that will end piracy on Um, pay-per-view. But it started where it was... So the Tyson fight, I think, probably would have set all records had we not had piracy. We Mm -hmm. sold 1.6 million pay-per-views. The Jake Paul fight sold a lot, but we saw, I think... We counted down 10 million paid streams that someone was charging like a million, uh, sorry, a dollar to two dollars or more, like more, but minimum a dollar for streams. And we, so the thing about it happened is Triller, which owned it, owns Fight Club, decided to do what the UFC had done and basically say, we're going to go sue people who, you know, allow, not people who pirate it, but people who, you know, offered it, pirated and made money off of it. Mm-hmm. But we gave people a hiatus. We're like, listen, we're going to bring actions, but if you pay the fee, even if mm-hmm. you don't just pay the 59 bucks and or 49, sorry, and we won't go after you. And so we sued, I don't know, eight people. We won against like five. And one of the guys, I'd never heard his name before. His name was mm-hmm. Ethan Klein. And this fucking guy. This fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you. <laughs> uh, I didn't even know who it was. He decides that somehow Triller is me, you know, it's a big company that's going public and worth billions but of dollars. But you were big in Trilly, though. Yeah, I was a co-founder, but yeah, okay. but I wasn't like out there publicly personally suing him. But he tells his 7 million followers, Ryan Kavanaugh suing me and he makes up all kinds of shit. I mean, the worst shit you can do, you can, you can make up. I joke around that, so he manipulated my Wikipedia and I joke around that like, I'm like, if you read it, I'm Ted Bundy meets Bernie Madoff, you know, and... Thank God I won this. I, I have a good sense of humor, but I, I had, I actually ended up having to sue him because he got, he went and did 55 podcasts on me. People were like, what's his fucking obsession with you? 55 podcasts? If you go on his Instagram right now, his Instagram, and he's got 7 million followers, makes a lot of money. His website is a website he created, listed as his site. Does Ryan Kavanaugh look like Harvey Weinstein? That's listed as his personal website. And then he just lists all kinds of bullshit that he made up. 
And then he went and he challenged all of his audience to um, said, go on his Wikipedia. We're going to all upvote this. He had sort of Reddit threads like, like, let's destroy his Google. And so I ended up having to sue him yeah, for real. Defamation. Defamation. Yeah, That's the defamation. And I won. And the thing is, you never win in California, especially as a, as a public figure. And yeah. I won. And he went and told his audience that I lost. And he's in the appeal right now, which gets heard in August. And then once he loses, he'll owe me like, you know, probably tens of millions of dollars. But, yeah. Perfect. Um, but it's funny because... I was like dealing with this this guy and I was just getting more and more frustrated. At first I was like responding and that mm. just gave him more fuel. Mm. Right. Yeah, Never was, like, anything. I didn't realize that. I'm like, I'm not that's like I'm not I'm usually behind yeah. the social media guys. I'm not yeah, a you social media guy. Search your name, you yes. know, the platform anybody. So I was like attacking him back when I'm like, this guy's a liar, and then he'd take it and he'd just do another show on it. So I just stopped yeah. responding. And um and I realized I felt pretty I felt bad. I mean, well. Because so I would get somewhere between a thousand and five thousand death threats on Instagram from his followers, and he had key lines he would use, like he called me Cav Cav, and so it would be like, "Hey Cav Cav, I'm coming to kill you and your family," or like you know he would be like, "These balls." I get these things like, "Hey, suck these balls." I get like a picture of balls, but then he started sending it to my ex-wife, who's the mother of my child, saying that we're coming to kill you. So I finally actually started filing complaints and it turns out like I felt bad. Two kids got kicked out of school because of it. His followers are all like kids, kids in high school and they just believe what he says. And they yeah, you shouldn't feel bad about that. You shouldn't be threatening your. Family. Yeah, no, I know. But it's like, it, no. And this this guy, he got kicked off a team and but they're all they're young kids. And they he has like six, seven million followers that are uh-huh. kids that just follow him. And so um, but it's funny because it led to we and ironically, he's like, I won the piracy case, which he did win the first piracy case. Mm-hmm. And he said, I didn't pirate anything. And then like four months ago, there was a second piracy case that Triller had and they won against him where the judge found he pirated. Oh no. What does this guy even post? Like what's his content? I his entire content. I'd never heard of him before. Yeah, I don't is know is. to attack people and he picks someone and he attacks them and he, he, he calls his, his community, his foot soldiers. And he gets his, he says foot soldiers attack. And then they have like reddits and they have, um, discords and like it's so toxic I, it's i don't know how you live that life but what it led to for me was it's interesting because i i realized that's not going to solve piracy in fact mm-hmm. the piracy probably made him more money on the podcast he did off me than you know like mm-hmm. he probably made tens of millions of dollars off that i'm not joking right. 55 podcasts on me like and people like I saw a lot of his followers even like, this is getting old, dude. Like, mm-hmm. move on. But so I went and I worked with a partner, we're about to announce, that to come up with a way to stop live streaming piracy completely. And it actually works. It's in beta. And it's mm-hmm. even coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting how that like that would work, though. though. It works. Does it? Is it, it just AI? No, it's a file type. So you change the file type completely. So if I'm streaming an event and you're watching it, it's specific to your TV. And if you try and rebroadcast it, whether it's through screen share, Zoom, Apple, any of them, it's a black screen. It oh, will Netflix not- actually does that, actually. Um, Netflix does it a little bit, but Netflix, you can, there's, there's ways you can still screen share. Like, yeah. like you can have Netflix on your phone and screen share, right? Mm-hmm. And then that screen could be rebroadcast anywhere else. Oh. This is like, imagine if you tried to show something on Zoom mm-hmm. and all you saw was a black screen. And that's, oh. that's the way. And, and yeah, it's, it's, wow. it's going to be pretty awesome. It will literally change the face of all pay-per-view. Um, uh, that kind of leads me to my next question too. So like working amongst like all these different things, I know you were speaking about that guy earlier a little bit about like how he's got like this audience and stuff. Have you found that living in LA, have you met like both types of people where it's like, these are really good people, but then these are also not so good people that you probably shouldn't associate with? Yeah, I mean, look, I started in Hollywood when I was pretty young. I think I was running the studio when I was 25. And so I was arguably called the most powerful person in Hollywood for about 10 years. Mm. I think I was doing like 40 movies a year and 20 TV shows. And so during that period of time, you know, I was around the who's who in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And um, I was working with like pretty much every studio. I structured, kind of created Marvel Studios and did Netflix's first big deal. And, um, And so I was like in it and mm-hmm. when i look around at the people i had around that i felt like were my friends mm-hmm. you know at, in your 20s you kind of i mean you guys are in your 20s so yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, yeah. but i you kind of um you don't know what you don't know and yeah. i'll say you don't know you don't know right and so you kind of think oh this person's my friend and you know as i kind of 
you're always going to face challenges in life. And that's the one thing about success. You will always have ups and downs. And when you have that down, which I had, and I've had big downs and big ups, then you see who's really your friend and who's really not. And it's interesting that some of the people I thought weren't good people turned out to be the best. And some of the people that I expected to be great and be there were not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'd say I've gotten very discerning. I think I have like seven people I'd call dear friends and I've got my family. And, you know, that's why I say I'm a father first because I kind of, I don't really go out that much. I spend most of my time with my close friends and, you know, I like. And I was trying to convince you to come to like everything. <laughs> and I just. I got vacation in the mountains with the fam. <laughs> All right, bro. I, I literally used to travel 278 days a year in a different country. When I was when I was running the studio, I was just on a plane all the time. You know, you name it, been there, done that. Yeah, you know? I I think like that's like the biggest thing like uh, that I personally struggle with like coming to LA because I come from like such a small town. It's like you're friends with some of your friends with somebody, and it's like you come to LA, and I feel like the more notoriety I got, it seemed like I had less friends because it was like, are you my friend because you like who I am? And I like, are we getting along? Or are you my friend because? everybody knows who i you know what i mean like you run yeah. into that a lot and you know obviously like uh hollywood is known for like the art, the tv persona entertainment side of it and so i think uh, in particular with that uh is it just like the people that you would consider that could be like negative or uh some sort of way towards you that they won't be your friend or do you find it as like the entire like organization and company can be corrupt in whole I think it's both. I mean, I think it would be too simple to say like Hollywood acts as this one instrument exactly. and they all do this. But there are factions yeah. and there are power players that control factions. And here, here's, I think, so there's three things when I, when I think about Hollywood. So one is most people in Hollywood aren't educated. So I agree. they're <laughs> like, whether it's a producer, I mean, a lot of directors do come from our background, so that's a little different, but producers, actors, you know, which... Um, so I have a lot of actors that are best friends that are educated, but actors, even studio heads or people in the studios. And so what happens is a lot of them don't necessarily feel inside like they deserve it because they're like, they came from a humble place. They didn't necessarily have the education. And then they're also competing. And when, you, when I say competing, it's a little different now because of Netflix and Prime and others, which not necessarily for the better, but it used to be everything was theatrical, right? So if you think about theatrical, there's 52 weekends in a year, of which call those seven are just dead weekends. You don't want to put movies out. So you got 40 something weekends. You take out Christmas and July and August, which are like saved for the avatars and the giant $200 million movies. Mm -hmm. So now you've basically got left about 30 weekends. And if you got 30 weekends left and there's two movies out or three, you never really have more than three big ones at a time. That means you got about 100 jobs a year in all of Hollywood. 100 producing jobs, 100 directing jobs, 100 writing jobs, you know, however many big actors there are in a movie. So four or 500 acting jobs. And then you go, okay, and of those, how many are the same? Well, you, the same producer probably makes three or four movies. The same director probably makes two. The same actors in four or five. So you cut it down and you're like, oh, there's like 40 jobs this entire year for that one person. So if I'm doing five or 10 or 15 or 20 movies, as much as people are like, oh, I'm your friend, I'm turning around and they're like, fuck him, mm -hmm. right? Because they feel like I'm taking something. And that's mm -hmm. for all of Hollywood, I think. And it becomes just a very, um, uh, just it's not a real place. So like they'll sit, someone will sit and be like, oh, dude, I love you. What you're doing is amazing. And the second you turn around, they're talking shit, mm -hmm. you know? And it's a combination of all those things. And it is a combination of like, they don't really, I don't think they're anybody's friend. They're just like, mm -hmm. you can do something for me right now. Therefore, I'm going to pretend like, you know, I like you. Mm -hmm. And I don't even think they know if they like anyone. Right. Right. I, yeah. That's, that's tough too, because I don't know. Like, I think that I've always been more the type where I see like, like if you want to be like, like, what's the word thing? My dad, when I was a kid, used to tell me like, you typically are a combination of the five most people that you hang out with. So it's like, you never want to be like the most, uh, what's the word? Like, if you feel like you're the smartest guy in the room, you should probably leave the room. That's true. <laughs> By the way, if you, the smartest guy in the room is the one who talks the least. <laughs> No, that's true. Uh, uh, that is that is the most true statement I think. And I think like the thing you know, that I look at Hollywood with is like I always like yeah, 
from outside the acting aspect, just talking like social media entertainment, I always think there's like people that have accumulated mass followings and they're up there and like they're all fine and everybody amongst those people kind of get along. And then there's the people like way at the bottom that don't really do social media. They just idolize those people top. And then there's this gray middle area. And I always say like that middle area is like the worst you can be in because in that area, you could be best friends, but if they feel like they can get up there, they're going to stab, they're going to pull, they're going to claw you all the way to get up there. They're going to, you know, uh, satire you under your name and stuff like that. And so I can see how like that can transition into like working inside film industry in particular yeah uh i know like recently like you're working on the movie with bryce and all just of just finish that yeah, yeah. starting two more and just finish that one but, uh, so that's, that's so exciting awesome. uh, my question for that is is like do you feel like that is hard to um cat because like with that one that was a particular movie because you casted one influencer and the rest of the people are actors pretending to be influencers that's actually so that's kind of my new film model when mm-hmm. i went back in a film like I, I literally was like burnt out i was like i gotta leave the industry for a bit and yeah. i did and um, and then kind of as I you know got into the influencer world, I saw this opportunity where I th- it really was both a business and a creative change. It was okay. I'm going to make movies that appeal to I'll call it top ten influencers audiences, which is a middle young middle twenty and teen audience, which is horror, American love stories, and American comedies. And I'm going to cast one top ten influencer, and then everybody else actors, right? And so the first one was actually an idea I came up with, which because we we created or we had say created they did, but um, hype house and sway that was Triller's houses. So we still had the actual sway house, and that you know Josh mm-hmm. and Bryce and everybody grew up in. So I had this idea of like, okay, nobody's done this yet. Let's have the top ten theoretical influencers get kidnapped. And they wake up and they're like stuck in this house, i.e. Sway House, which is like a 50,000 square foot house. Right? And people mm-hmm. know the Sway House. And, and they know the Sway House. And we, nothing's changed. So like it's the Sway House. And they don't know why, why they're there, but they're stuck. And they realize there's a round every couple hours. And at the end of each round, the world's voting. And the person who has the least votes dies in a brutal way. So I went to the guy who wrote the last two saws and I pitched mm-hmm. it to him. He's like, I'm in. And then... And, and he and he directed it and we uh and that's the movie and we got it's great because we have it's 50 cent partner was my he, he's in it and he's my mm-hmm. producing partner bryce obviously is one of the yeah. stars and then we've got a great cast we've got neil mcdonough and we've got Paige van sant's in it and we've got it's a very diverse cast and is it you, you that um cat like do you pick the uh cast for it or is it like they go through like auditions and then they get passed up to you like is it like a hierarchy um that movie, it all depends on the movie because mm-hmm. directors and producers play different roles at different times. In that movie, because it was my baby, because mm-hmm. it was my original idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there was huge casting calls and then the casting directors kind of weed out and then it kind of comes up and then I'll look at it with the director and the other producers and we'll look at, I don't know, 10 people and decide on one. But the main lead, so like Neil McDonough, um, is just, he's a dear friend. So, you know, um, he was one of the leads. And then uh, obviously Bryce we kind of made it around because his character, he plays somewhat himself. Yeah. Um, Perfect. That has yeah. to be different. Yeah, it was, it, you know, his, his name is Carter in the movie, but he plays himself. Uh-huh. And then um, we have Hannah Stocky, in which we uh-huh. did get through casting. Interesting, because I didn't have she's a relationship. With, yeah. yeah, I was like, I know yeah. her from Vine. Yes. Didn't she do Vine? She's got like a huge YouTube following, huge. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and um, And I'm actually doing a, one of my next movies is with her boyfriend, with King Watch. Yeah, um, King Watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, one of our good buddies. Yeah, so he's in. I have two movies with him actually, um, and then uh, you know the rest came through some form of cast. Or fifty, obviously, was a pre-existing relationship, and then the rest mm-hmm. came through casting. What's the time frame from like start to finish? It has to be a, f- a few years, Hold right? On, be- before you answer the question on the time frame, I want everyone know like what's a budget look like on a movie? Oh, that I, too. Because I have a friend that is trying to pitch a, a script, and I was asking, him, was like, okay, so what, do, what is the movie going to cost? Like a couple hundred k? No, it's about four million dollars, and that's a cheap movie. And I'm like, there's no way four million. Four is a cheap movie. No, so aren't they usually like ten to twenty? Well, ten to twenty is no man's land. So 10 to 20, you don't want to make movies in that price because it's like you want to be over 20 or under seven or eight. So um, Hmm. think about it this way. So you're shooting on average, call it 25 to 30 days. If you've got a crew of 200 people and they're all professionals, right? 
whether they're a cameraman, a DP, a lighting expert, a sound expert, right? You know, add up what that costs, right? And that's before insurance, location, and add on the cost of your main actors, then on, on your director, which is not cheap, your producer, the writing, then... Wait, I lost count. Not to mention wardrobe, not to mention um, uh, any kind of uh, prop, so everything in the house, every scene needs a prop set up. Then you need mm-hmm. people to do continuity. You need a, you need an AD. You need a how DP. much is just insurance? On some movies, it could be millions. Um, so you need. It, I haven't been involved in a movie that there wasn't a lawsuit of some sort. No, I don't think anybody has. Is there a lot of lawsuits in these movies? Always. So for what? Um, it's everything from someone like. Oh, I once met that guy and pitched that idea to him in an elevator and he stole it from me. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'm not joking. And like the insurance companies would rather settle and pay them like 30K half the time than like fight. So it. you can make that up and be like, so hey, I'm, that was my idea. I'm going straight to Marvel. And I, I invented the character of Thanos. Do you yeah. guys like. If you look how many times Marvel has been sued for that, like you'd be shocked. Like that's insane. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, so insurance is a lot. It's called E&O insurance. Uh-huh. Um, and and sometimes, it, I mean, oftentimes it pays off because I can't tell you how many times we'll have an out day shoot and it'll be raining. Well, oh. you use insurance because that could cost a million dollars one day of loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and we had one, I made this movie, 310 to Yuma, and a horse died in the middle of the scene. It was really bad. Yeah. And yeah, um, Peter's coming to see you guys. It's just, the it, whole thing is like set aside how sad it is the horse died, but then you got like yeah. all this crazy shit. You got to sh- shut down shooting. You know, it's just... So yeah, and then if you have big actors who are making three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten million, if you have a big director who's making three, four, five million, and big producers who are making millions, right? And then, by the way, we just finished shooting. We haven't even started editing yet. Now I got to pay for the editor, the editing equipment, the the effects, and then, by the way, music. How many? (laughs) Wait, how many people do you think? Given obviously depends on the size of the movie, special effect. Oh, because then you got to tie in special effects. If you have special effects, I forgot about that. Mm -hmm. How many people do you think it takes to edit a movie? Uh, A big movie, you could see a hundred plus people editing. So you need an army to put on a movie. Oh no! It's the way I the way I explain a movie is every movie is a company. And it actually is because yeah. you form a company for the movie, but it literally is a company. Mm-hmm. You have a couple hundred or more people working on every movie, even the small ones. And so to, to make a price point, like I, I remember I was talking to you this about this last summer. To make a price point, it's the opening weekend or the opening two weekends uh, gross income that dictates how much the money makes. So the opening weekend is very important. Um, that kind of dictates you can generally run a formula based on the opening weekend as to all the other windows. Um mm-hmm. Now, with some exception, because so if the movie is good and it's hard to know what good is, I'm not saying like you oftentimes think Mm -hmm. it's bad and it's good or think it's good and it's bad, Um, but good as in it's getting the right reviews. And I don't mean reviews like a movie reviewer wrote it, but right word of mouth, right social media. Um, Then you hold strong for week two and week three. And then you're your kind of what we'll call gross for the weekend for the couple of weekends dictates every other part of the window. If it's bad... You could have a really good opening weekend and then you'll just drop off like the, the the word of mouth, no matter how much marketing you do. Oh, by the way, we haven't even talked about how much you spend on marketing. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, that's a um, whole other ball Which game. is generally the, the same as the budget of the movie. So double no it. Yeah. It's the same? Depending on the budget. Yeah. So a $50 million movie, you're spending at least 50 marketing. A $100 million movie, you're spending at least 100 marketing. How much do you think Barbie spent on marketing? Because that was everywhere. Uh, a couple hundred, about $300 million. And they thought it was going to fail, by the way. The weekend before, they were like basically getting ready to lay off people. They thought it was going to fail. Really? Yeah. Seriously? They didn't like the edit on the movie? They just thought it was going to... It's not that they don't like it. So here's the thing. What we do with movies when we finish, and when you make a movie, you get so close to it, right? Mm-hmm. And you're stuck in it. But what you do is you go recruit test audiences. And it's the only way you really know is like you have people stand on places that are symbolic of like the diversity of America. And you like, hey, would you like to come see a free movie Saturday? And then they show up and you show them the movie and they fill out some forms. They're like, did you like it? Would you recommend it? What didn't you like? And then these companies create statistics around it and they tell you, hey, that compared to these movies, that one's going to do this number. And um, it, it's called test screenings. And so they were like, Warner Brothers, who, who distributed it, was like, this thing is 
They picked the wrong gonna people. It's going to be completely to crap. And we're going to lose all our money and then some. And they were just like, this is going to be the biggest disaster we've had because they spent a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. And it turned out to be, you know. The biggest movie of the year. Yeah, like one of the biggest movies of everybody's year. That's insane. And, and does uh, timing of when you release these movies matter? Yes and no. So there are good weekends and there's bad weekends. And you look at like, what are you competing with? You don't want to compete with the Super Bowl, for example. Like, right. right. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to compete. Like as much as Halloween weekend is good, it's not really that good. Because if Halloween falls on a Saturday or Friday, they're trick-or-treating, not going to the movies. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone a long time ago, who's actually the chairman of Lionsgate, he's a dear friend of mine, John Feltheimer. We did our, I did my first nine movies with him. And he taught me something on that same way I was talking about 310 Yuma, where it was a $55 million movie. I'd made it, they were distributing it, um, and I'd financed it. And um, it was a Western. And September 9th, which is the first weekend of September, is traditionally the single worst weekend of the year. And for movies, because it's back to school. Mm. It's like people, they've already seen the big movies in August. All the, you know, they've gotten their movie kind of, out of them, right? And they're kind of waiting for school to be in a little bit and talk about things. He said to me, listen, I think we have a good enough movie. No one is on that weekend. Let's go on that weekend. Everybody thought we were nuts. Like everyone. And I think we opened to like 10 million, which is a terrible opening. And we ended up building on that because the movie was so good that we ended up in one of the highest grossing Westerns of all time. So gross is actually better than opening then. Well, if you would do 10 million, you would normally say, I'm going to have an under $30 million total gross. Because mm. mm-hmm. 3X is a huge multiple through opening weekend. Yeah. But once in a while, if you have a good enough movie, you break those molds. Very few in between. So how do you get financed for like a $30, $40 million movie? Where does that even come from? So, I mean, okay, again, there's five studios. Mm-hmm. And they generally are doing 95% of the movies. Okay. Um, then Netflix came into being and obviously now Amazon and Hulu. And they're really financing. The reason movies are so shitty is Netflix just sits there and says, yes, 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 yeah. Oh, you've got mm-hmm. The Rock. Oh, you've got Ryan Reynolds. Oh, you've got Mark Wahlberg. Like, and I know who you are. Cool. Here's 50 million bucks. Go. And you're like, oh, I got just watched that same movie 50 times this week. And yeah. nothing original ever gets made. Because you got to remember, when I did the deal with Netflix in 2010, they were a mail-order DVD company. And, and the little red envelopes. Yep. And so we were the first ones to go and say, we're going to put movies on demand instead of going on HBO. I mean, there were articles written that said, like, I lost my mind. And I went with this shitty... I remember still the chairman of Warner Brothers at the time who owned HBO. They were like, are you worried that they did this deal with this company, Netflix? And he's like, they're a fly on my ass. That's actually what he called them. And um, I remember at, at the Milken conference, I was on a panel with the guy who was the chairman of CBS, Les Moonves, arguing with him and the head of DirecTV. I'm like, you guys are going to get crushed by Netflix. And they're like, oh my God, you don't know what you're talking about. They're like the shittiest little company. But... The interesting part was Netflix had come out and said, we're never going to make our own movies. 2010, we're like, we were their sole district at the time provider of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had one TV show and they were like, we're never, we, to the guy who was now the CEO had blown 50 million bucks trying to make movies and it all failed. And he came out and he's like, I'm never going to do that again. And so now you got to remember, you got a tech guy who doesn't come from, well, he's not even a tech guy. I think he ran... DVD stores. I'm not actually joking. Like back in the 90s when like Blockbuster was around. And he's running Netflix and, you know, he's not a movie guy. And his thing is kind of like, I'm just going to green light everything and I'm just going to develop everything. And eventually I'll just buy enough followers that they're going to have watched my shit. And so then, unfortunately, Amazon has to compete. So then they're like, oh, although Amazon's a little better, like, you know, Prime Video. Yeah, they they have a good creative crew who mm-hmm. actually focuses on quality. Like they'll spend a lot of money, but they'll spend it on quality. So they mm-hmm. bought like a Quiet Place two and three for four hundred million bucks, or Knives Out, mm-hmm. you know, for a couple hundred million bucks. Apple TV, very highbrow, right? They mm-hmm. they're very discerning. They spend a lot of money, but it's like their shows are quality. Um, but unfortunately, like that. Um, so that's where a lot of the money comes from now, and. The studios didn't realize they kind of fell into this trap. So for about five years, Netflix was funding all the studios' movies and the studios would put them theatrical and then put them on Netflix. And they didn't realize they were like funding their own doom, right? They were like sending all these users over to Netflix and eventually Netflix said to the studios, yeah, okay, you guys can fuck off now. Yeah, we're we're going to do it ourselves. Right. And so then the studios are like, uh, how do we compete, right? Um, so 
the studios still do make whatever 15 movies a year so mm -hmm. 20 movies a year so you got the studios um paramount does a great job warner brothers does a great job um sony's doing good their animation has been great uh fox is disney obviously disney's still crushing it um yeah, they're just they're you know, suing uh, uh, car wash in uh, Israel for for calling it star wash. Like, it's like oh, big, really? Yeah, it's like a big thing all over Twitter right now. So like they're very I mean, Disney's very they're like, very protective of their we, brand. We paid four billion dollars, whatever they paid for yeah. Star Wars. We're not letting anybody. Yeah, as you know, I get it. I'd be pretty pissed if I you know. I mean, the whole industry. It sounds like it's been changing though since Netflix became as big as it is today, especially with movie premieres and whatnot. Where do you see? things going well i also imagine too you probably watch movies in a more yeah. critical light than like we would watch a movie and we'd be like this is a great movie but you like, probably are more like the lighting could be better there they could have mm -hmm. said this i can imagine i you know i try to turn it off um like i try to just enjoy a movie sometimes and mm -hmm. enjoy it for what it is and then i'd say it's really funny when i watch movies with my kids it's easier because kids movies it's, kid. it's like yeah. a cartoon or a fun like um and so i can appreciate like trying to turn that off but um, yeah, like I just went and saw, if you saw Ferrari, it's, it didn't do any business. And it's one of my favorite movies of the year. It's so well made. Mm -hmm. Michael Mann directed, I actually was going to originally make it with him seven years ago, but Russell Crowe was going to star in it and he was going to do it all in Italian. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then it ended up being, um, what's his name that plays uh, uh, Han Solo's son? Um, oh, I know who you're talking uh, about. Kyle I don't know. Yes. Names. Yes. Yeah. And he is such a good actor. You'd have like honestly he deserves an academy award penelope uh -huh. cruz deserves an academy award and i sat there and i was just like admiring the lighting and the shots and like this is beautiful it is and it's hard to like you know break from that i mean I'm, there's this scene where she's you know give anything away but she's although nobody in the world saw it so it doesn't really matter um she's her son has passed away enzo ferrari and she goes to his grave to talk to him. It's about a four-minute scene, and she doesn't say a word, but the expressions on her face change, and you, you like feel the entire conversation she's having mm -hmm. without any words coming out. And you're like, "That's a brilliantly made movie." I, mm -hmm. My question is, like, obviously, you've watched you watch HBO, I'm sure, but you have you ever seen like the Game of Thrones? Yeah, of course. Do you, how much does it cost to make a mistake like that when they had the Starbucks? The Starbucks. Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, it's like a famous thing, and they're all playing the blame. I game think they on do Jimmy part Kimmel. of it on purpose, though. No, 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 because they played the blame game on Jimmy Kimmel, and the text message came out. It was like her cup, her cup. Like, what's that? Okay, honestly, like, do you think stuff like that happens often? And two, is that a big money mistake? Uh, I actually think that helped them. Think I think so. they had to That's play dumb and they had to play like, I don't know if they did it on mistake, on purpose, but they had to obviously play dumb and be like, oh, that's a total fuck up because it is. It's a continuity yeah. fuck up, meaning like it's, it's like watches or shoes. Like sometimes you'll be in a movie and someone forgets to take off their watch and it's like oh, yeah. they're playing 1950s and they're wearing a, a yeah. you know, a, a brand new Apple, Apple watch, you know, like, um, but it's less noticeable. When, when mm. someone catches it like that, think of how many people went back Mm -hmm. and watched it yeah and or how, many people, or how many people that never watched the show were like oh i gotta go see the starbucks thing yeah it kind of goes back to how you like fund your own demise it's like with stuff like that he's like you guys pay so much money to make sure that continuity Ooh. is legit and nothing changes but then when something does happen it kind of just pays back into it but the second thing with that is do you think starbucks uh a lawsuit for that because now they're now well, Starbucks could have sued, but it's there's okay. What are the damages? So here's the thing: no, no damage. we're all very careful, like you know, to not wear brands, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. um, you know, you're you're not supposed to have you know water turn front, right? Because mm -hmm. we don't have because they're not a sponsor, yeah. and you don't want to be sued by the company whose name I'm not going to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but smart guy. Um, but the reality is, I was thinking about it, I'm like what. You're just helping them. So, like, what Starbucks going to assume me? Like, you guys got us seen four billion times. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but at the other end of that spectrum, they're like, the only reason your show got viewed so many times by X amount of so many people is because our cup was in there. You can make the argument for both ends too. It'd be a losing argument. You think so? Because like, why would you like, put that much money into lawyer fees into yeah. this or that? Because like, think of it like this: if I, for example, we were on this podcast, if I bring Ryan on the podcast and this podcast does fifty million views, because I'm all, calling you for a check, yeah, exactly, <laughs> because he's coming on with a Richard Millie, uh, and I go, okay, yeah, oh, we can't say that word. And then I go, everybody goes back to the podcast, and I've got fifty more million views because they're trying to see this guy's Richard Millie. <laughs> Subtle flag. Mele. Right? 
And now Richard Billy's calling me. I'll be like, hey, bro, I'm going to be honest with you, man. You said that our name like 10 times in your podcast. You got Ryan on there rocking our stuff. We want to check because now you just made a check off of him wearing that. I'm like, bro, what? Well, if that's how the world works. That's how the world works. It doesn't look like suing you for having a conversation in an elevator. It does work that way, except brands have a. Lawsuits in in business, like big business, are just a cost of doing business. So they mm-hmm. analyze like people who sue are usually like the bottom wrong, the bottom of the total pole. I hate to say it, but they're like mm-hmm. generally scum. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm gonna go sue for something stupid and hope they'll settle. Or you know, it's like I always people who a lot of people sue when they lose money in deals. This is a movie or deals. Or it's like, okay, I'm worth five hundred million dollars. I'm gonna invest a million dollars in something. And then when I, if I lose it, and it's known to be the riskiest thing in the world, I'm going to sue and say, I thought it was like going to make me five times my money no matter what. And you're like, dude, you can't, government T-bills at the time or whatever are paying you 8%. And those are like close to guaranteed. Mm-hmm. And you're telling me as a super sophisticated investor, you think that 500 times is guaranteed and you're suing for that, right? So people who sue are generally in that mind. They're just like, I just want to, they're sleazy. The the brands it's 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 value. So like S- Disney brought up suing Star Wars, right? That's a decided effort because they're like we have to protect Star Wars, and if we don't go after this one, others will copy, right? Mm-hmm. So they know they're not going to make any money off that. They just want to stop it. But, oh, I see. I okay, see. but and there's a reason why. Like next thing you know, you'll have like you know the Chewbacca burger, you know, like uh, you know, right? They, you know. Recently, they're going through that thing with the whole Mickey Mouse thing because the patent on the original yeah. Mickey Mouse is up. Now people are making horror movies based off the original Mickey yes. Mouse. I, which I didn't even know was a thing. I thought if you own the rights to something as iconic as Mickey Mouse, it's a hundred, no, it, it's hundred years. years. And 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 by the way, Disney's the one who got it changed. It used to be thirty, and they got it changed to a hundred. Um, so you can only own something for a hundred years, and and even then, it's hard to own for hundred years. And if the author of like a book or something dies, that's yeah. whenever it gets even more messy. Yeah, it's, it's so you see so me to tell me a hundred years from now, like basically everything on Disney Channel is going to be like anybody can use a lot, well, a lot less than a hundred years because a lot of stuff on Disney channels came well, out. or Marvel like, yeah, even. You know, like the, um, the Marvel stuff goes into public domain, um, and it, it's specific though. So the way around that. Like the only thing that went into public domain was the one character of Mickey in a steamboat. Like it doesn't yeah, even look yeah, like Mickey, original, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so people, the way they get around it is they just create a new one that's a little different, put that in and then make that the popular one and then re, you know, copyright it. Oh. But then they could, they could, but it's the same name. Like, for example, like. Well, like, yeah, Mickey Mouse, they can use that picture and they can call him Mickey. But like if they call him like, you know, the Mickey Mouse. And they just change it a little bit and enough that it looks different. And that's what they put in cartoons. You can't use that now for a hundred years from the date they first put that out. So that's how they, 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 that's why you see characters change a lot. Ah, I never put that together, but that yeah. does make sense. Mm-hmm. why like you would watch like a cartoon, like even like the Wolverine outfit has changed all the time. And every they time they do that, to Logan. yeah. So the day they started using Logan, that's when the hundred years starts and they can use you know, Wolverine before that, but you know, the mm-hmm. Wolverine. Like now, you got me all self-conscious. I'm covering my watch up. <laughs> Don't worry, you can't even say the name right. <laughs> what is it called? It's Richard Millet, right? Yeah, Millet. Millet. What I say? Millie. Whatever. <laughs> That's what I say. Millie, like Millie Vanilli. One of the days we dump a champagne on my own, Richard Millet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's actually interesting. I actually didn't I didn't know that. Um, mm-hmm. So so basically, do you think that that is one of those situations where it could be beneficial to the brand of Disney because people are going to be like, where the hell did you get this mouse? Or like, um, no, I actually don't. I think. Uh, uh, there's nothing Disney can do about it. They'll just be watching carefully to make sure no one steps into other mickey mm-hmm. like if they take a frame out of another mickey you know they'll go after them but like the starbucks thing there's just no reason for them to go after it it's not like it's going to trigger a bunch of other people doing yeah. the same thing and they're not going to win any money if they go sue the studio and hbo and say we're suing you for using that then they have to prove they were damaged mm-hmm. right or that there was ill-gotten gains and that's like you can't even prove defamation it's so hard I did. Not, you got lucky. <laughs> well, I mean, in your defense, you have like legitimate like text. Fifty-five yeah. podcasts. Yeah, like text. I have podcasts website, and yeah. websites and yeah. No, it's it's uh. He put games on there even like 
you can like play games to like shift my face to Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so this I, guy has too much time, honestly. He does. I'm like, he's a little bit obsessed, you think? Yeah. I so for your movie that you have coming out, uh, the social media one, is that, that comes out early this year? That will come out uh, later this year. And we just closed with the studio. I can't say the name yet, but a big but, studio will be distributing it. And um, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's fun. It's a ride. And the trailer is out right now? There's a teaser out right now. So you can... Um, it's a like a forty-five second or one-minute teaser. It's um, uh, we'll put it, the it's link cool. somewhere here. Yeah, we'll put the link here. You guys can watch it. It's mm -hmm. fun. It's really fun. And then um, I'm really excited. The next one I'm starting is another. It's kind of like an angel demon type movie. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's uh, um, called Jericho Falls, and it's it's great. Right, Matt Pitts is the he was J.J. Abrams' main writer. He did uh, Westworld and he did Lost. Great, so, great. I love watch. When yeah. you cast these movies, how, what's like the shooting time? You have to, is that in the budget? Like, okay, we got to shoot between March and August. Like, and this is what we have to put in. Uh, no, you, you know your shooting days. So you're like, okay, I have 24 days or I have 26 days. And then you schedule every everything. I mean, first of all, your budget's about this big and your schedule's about this big. So every single line that's being said for the day by scene is broken down, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, did you come on set? I forgot. You came on one day, right? Uh, I didn't get to come. No, no I okay. Um, but uh but yeah so what happens then is you plan your your schedule around your director and your cast right so um like i don't know, let's say i'm going for winona Ryder, you know for the lead in my next movie or one of the leads you know she's going to have specific times that she's not shooting and that has to align with your director and that has to align with your producer and then oh, your so everybody's on their own schedule essentially like today no, at 12 o'clock we're shooting with yes. this girl and the director yes. he has to get through this many lines yes. before five o'clock she's off we bring the next guy on or well most of the scenes are multiple people right, right. so you have these six yeah. people are on call with the whole crew you know and then they shift out or they don't you try and shoot people in blocks yeah. too Mm -hmm. Right to make it most cost effective, you don't shoot it in order. So you don't shoot movies chronologically, which is very strange. Like you could be shooting the ending first, and you know, let's say that you have a really famous actor actress who's in the beginning for a little while, the middle, mm -hmm. and the end. You're not going to keep them the whole time. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. So, like for example, that movie The Hangover, when Mike Tyson was in that movie, he yeah. was only in there the beginning, the middle, yeah. the end. So he would show up. He'll probably shoot all of his scenes real quick in like a day. Uh, it was probably all movie. shot in a day. Yeah. Ah, and then like then they added yeah. the edit at the end. Okay, that makes so much. Yeah, sense. yeah. Editing, editing is so important in movies because you 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 literally are a movie can make gets make gets broken or created mm -hmm. in the edit room. Okay, and what's the what's the name of uh, your movie? Just for the people, out Skill House. Skill Skill House. And then if you lose the S, you know. Ah, uh, <laughs> Skill House minus the S. Oh, okay. I love that. Okay, we're at that. So, if you guys want to check out Skill House by my good friend here Ryan, go ahead and check it out. We're gonna leave the link in the description below. Uh, thank you guys so much again for tuning in to the number one me. podcast. More. Thank you for coming, Ryan. Yeah. You're the man, thank bro. You. Appreciate thank you guys you. a lot. Thank, thank you so you. much. If you guys enjoy these types of episodes, make sure you guys smash that like button, turn on post notifications, subscribe to all the channels. We love you guys the most. I'm your host, Chase Damore. And Gabrielle Moses.